here's one for democracy. Oscar Wilde says, to disagree with three-fourths of the British public is one of the first requisites of sanity. Agatha Christie would no doubt agree, as she said, sanity is the one unbelievable bore. One must be mad, slightly twisted. Then one sees life from a new and entrancing angle. I'm John Modaff. And I'm Lynn Miller, and this is The Unruly Muse. And we're off on insanity versus sanity. And we're talking about everyday crazy, not clinical crazy, when right. we talk about insanity. That's right. The, the crazy people talk about all the time, mostly when they're talking about others, like stir crazy and half crazy. Bat shit crazy. Car crazy. Boy crazy and girl crazy. Crazy as a loon. Born crazy. And crazy like a fox. And the good kind of crazy that people like. Good crazy, which is what our first song is all about. I think we should go to it. kind of crazy It's the only thing that keeps me sane How you cry at the sun and laugh at the rain Through wild-eyed crowds You dance out loud It's crazy like your kind of crazy in this song. That is just perfect. Can you tell us a little bit about how you decided to write this song? Frankly, I think crazy's getting a bad name, which is a shame because it's one of the most alluring qualities of other people. And if you think about who your friends are and why they are your friends, it could be there was some crazy in the sauce early on. I think if you're crazy in the same way, those are your friends. You like their kind of crazy. Exactly. Craziness in the right mix is exciting and wonderful. Yes, it is. There's always a little bit of illogic and courage and risk-taking in crazy that makes it fun to be around, sort of like riding a roller coaster, which is absolutely crazy, but also lots of fun. Well, then we have to think about maybe crazy is an illusion, just as some people think all of life is just illusion. And I think that's what we're often accusing someone of when we say they're crazy, is that they're living under this fog of their own making. And if only they could see things my way, which of course 
is sane, then they would be fine. Of course. Mm -hmm. Well, that kind of brings us into our first poem, I think. It's called Meditation by Hilda Raz. Has she shared with you how this poem came about? Absolutely. This poem, by the way, is in her recent collection, Letter from a Place I've Never Been, Collected and New Poems. She said, I was half maddened by the approaching death of a close friend. She was young and nothing to be done for her, for the many friends around her. Every way I'd found in my long life of various griefs, nothing helped. So as always, I turned to the page. So here we have meditation. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. I can't. Who's talking? Shut up, compassion. Put on socks and shoes, meditation. Walking, meditation. Once around the desert. No dog, nobody. Counting heart stones, meditation. In the basket, on the ground. Walking the dog, meditation. Out loud, out loud. Listen, dog. Meta. May I, she, be. Safe. May she, I, be. Happy. May she be, feel, well. May she live, die, lightly. Gratitude meditation. Each day a white stone. Picked up by the front door. By the back garden. Put down on the ground. White stones to make a mouth. If my mouth were as wide as the seven seas. It would not be enough to praise thee. Be quiet. Make lunch. Notice the thumb. The work of the thumb. Notice the edge of the knife blade. Wash the dishes meditation. Meta. May our friend be safe. safe. May she be happy. happy. May she be well. well. May she live, die lightly. I can't sit still. Death. 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 I can't. I can't, I... Can't, I... Who? May she walk in the shadow of death. And fear no evil. Thy arroyo rock. And thy cottonwood staff. Comfort. Breathe. 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 Rausch means soul. Means breath. Is breath. Is soul. Breathe. 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 Until the body stone fractures to release. Thank you, Hilda, for this amazing poem. We have performed Hilda's poems before on this show, and they are always so rich. I think it was Plato who said, everybody you meet's fighting some kind of war. And the fight Uh, is not just to fill our bellies, but also to keep it together. Yeah. We can't control our mind sometimes, especially under stress, as she was when she wrote this poem. The gerbil wheel that our mind puts us on over and over again. We feel crazy. Yes. But... This is the transaction going on all the time in our heads. And it's not just mere stream of consciousness. The poem really throws a a light on one person's uh, routines of mind that help her get through. Yeah, and I love how the poem returns again and again, as you mentioned earlier, to the concrete. You know, put on your shoes, go for a walk. The stone. The mention of stones, yeah, arroyo, Mm -hmm. real things the physical world, which help calm us. And one of my favorite lines, listen, dog. 
<laughs> yes, yes. And then, and then I love the repetition of meta, which is one of the meanings of it is benevolence. Right. It's not Facebook. Um, it's the other yeah, meta. It's the other. And it's in, in this poem, a call for calm. Yes. An admirably honest and candid poem. That's right. And, and we all have this thing called mind chatter that, you know, especially under stress, it just goes crazy, to use a word, in our brains. And it's very difficult. I mean, that's I guess that's one of the things about the Zen act of washing the dishes. When you wash the dishes, just wash the dishes. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Hilda. It was a challenge, but an enjoyable one to perform. Very. One of the many species of crazy walking around is the general attitude that people have toward other people based on their past experience and who knows, maybe what they're born with too. Uh, And this story dives into how another mind works its way through a day. What can you tell us? Well, this story is called Flight, and it came to me in a flash about a woman who ran from her life because she was so sensitive, her life was so rough, that her, I guess, walking meditation was to run, but it didn't feel meditative to her. So this this story just appeared one day. Flight by Lynn C. Miller. Vicky had one strategy, getting out of Dodge. As long as she left before the other person did, she could breathe. So she left. She moved, she quit, she ran, she disappeared. At three, she was placed in foster care, and again two years later. And again, well, she didn't want to count the ways that her life went to hell over and over. She looked around the room at the nine women in her support group. But here's the thing. I consider myself an optimist. Silence from the group. Then one person very hesitantly smiled, a tiny smile, one corner of her mouth lifting. To save the moment, Vicky started to laugh. <laughs> kind of a tinny, fake laugh, but it was the best she could do. I, I do. After all, I'm here right now. I- I've been in this group for three years. It's the longest commitment I've ever made. Brenda, the facilitator, said, Thank you, Vicky. That's fantastic. She raised her arms like a bird about to take off, encouraging other responses. Yeah, Vicky, we're so glad you're here, Bridget piped up. Her head was shaved on one side, the other side sprouted a floppy platinum mane to her ears. Vicky knew she could never wear a hairstyle like that. Her head had some bumps. But this woman was gorgeous with flawless skin and a perfect heart-shaped face. Murmurs and cheers burst out out from from the the other other eight people. people. Brenda checked her phone. It's time for a break, she said. Dutifully, the group got up and went to the table for Cokes or coffee. The coffee was a bit of a gamble, either dark and strong and thick, or so weak you could see the bottom of the cup. Vicky ducked out the side door. She fled to her car and leaned against it, her body trembling. Today, she had to leave at the break, especially after spilling her guts. Sometimes she felt she had a sign on her back and forehead that said, Freak! Freak. She couldn't face anyone coming over to her. The sympathetic nods, the pats on the back, the... Hey, let's get together soon. I know just how you feel. That was Colby. Either she had the worst life anyone had ever had in any century, or she masqueraded as a huge, quivering ball of empathy. But maybe she was genuine. Who? Oh, no. 
Still shaky, Vicky aimed the car toward home. She drove like an old lady, someone told her once, really close to the steering wheel, peering at the road ahead. But she was only 5'2", with really short legs, so she didn't really see what else she could do with her driving position, as her driver's ed person went on about. She just hoped she wouldn't get into an accident. The airbag would probably kill her. Vicky imagined the bag blowing up, slamming into her chest or her face, fracturing bones, cutting off her breath. She pulled over into a convenience mart. The light began to leak from the sky and her sunglasses were the only ones she had with her. She squinted into the gloom. Okay, pull it together. Come on. Come on, she chanted. She bought a bottle of water in the small store, dumping the contents of her pocket on the counter. How's it going? The guy at the counter said without looking at her. Really built. He had huge corded arms and a deep chest. Great, great. You? Her voice had a croaky vibe. She sounded like a junkie. If only she still smoked or drank, she thought she wouldn't be this spooked just talking to the store clerk. A drink. That's what she really needed. But that was the one line she couldn't afford to cross. Not this time. Hey, better take care of that cough, Mr. Muscle said. You never know. It's the little things that get you. This time, he aimed his eyes at her face, his eyebrows arcing. Thanks. Yeah, <clears throat> Good night. Vicky Speed walked out to the parking lot. In her car, she gulped half the water. Her head had that light feeling. God, she needed to get home and eat something. Had she forgotten to eat lunch? It was eight o'clock. Suddenly, she was ravenous. She checked the glove box for a granola bar. Nothing. One stick of gum. She unwrapped it, tried to roll it up, but it was stiff as a board. She gnawed on it anyway. She should have stayed home. Between the group and Mr. Muscle, convenience store, what a joke. Inconvenient, or worse, torture, just like the support group. She slumped in her car. Okay, time to go. Just three more miles. A loud rap on her window. She froze. Quick, lock the doors. Fast, fast. She looked up. It was Mr. Muscle. Hey, lady, sorry to scare you. He grinned at her. A perfectly nice grin, if you were in the mood. Uncertain, she gnawed on her lip. You left a bill on the counter, that's all. Ten bucks. Here, he motioned for her to roll down her window. She did, just two inches, though. He threaded the ten through the opening and then backed away, hands out, empty. Take it easy, he said, again with that big smile. The ten fluttered into her lap. Vicky watched his easy glide toward the store. She lowered her window. Hey, she called out. He turned around. She waved cracked a small smile. You too, she said. Vicky started the car and cautiously backed out, narrowly missing a post. That wasn't so hard, talking to a stranger. A considerate stranger, of course. She'd been lucky there. Maybe she should get to know a few folks in her apartment building. There were always things to talk about. The elevator not working, for instance. She heard her grandmother's voice suddenly. The lift is on the fritz again. That woman knew just who she was. Two right turns and a left after two blocks. Vicky always took the same route wherever she went, one she'd memorized. Just in case, she wrote it down on a sticky note and stuck it on the dashboard, too. She jerked to a stop one block from her place. A young woman stood on the corner in the near dark, clutching a small girl's hand. Propped up against a suitcase was a sign, need help. Vicky knew those words in her bones. She inched the car forward, rolled down her window a few inches. Hey, lady. The woman lurched over to her. Here. Vicky handed her the ten Mr. Muscle had returned to her. The woman's weary face lit up. She put her hand over her heart, bowed forward. Thanks. Oh, thank you. Thank you. 
Vicky flushed. You take care, she said, wriggling her fingers at the little girl. Vicky drove the last block and parked her car in the narrow space in front of her building. It's the little things that get you, she recited, trying to mimic Mr. Muscle. But then she thought, it's, it's the, the little, little things, things that, that get, get you, you through, through too. too. Next time she stopped at that convenience mart, she'd let him know. At the first I thought, maybe this story should be called The Little Things, but no flight's better. Well, interestingly, it was once called The Little Things. Well, how about uh, that? How about that? And then I thought, hmm, I don't know. It just sounded kind of trivial. Yeah, well, you, know, you might be right about that. But in the story, it's not cliche or trivial because we see the anatomy of good acts. And it's not necessarily this pay it forward thing where you're consciously doing random acts of kindness. It was almost like a butterfly in the wind. She's pushed around by the communications of others and what she observes. And good gets done for her and for other people. That's right. And we constantly see that in the story. There's some good that gets done in the support group, even though she flees for her life. Uh, mm -hmm. Mr. Muscle is a wonderful character. We only see him for a couple of minutes. He's absolutely on script in mm -hmm. everything he does and says, but there are little clues that he's aware that she is a tender being of a sort and, mm -hmm. and very mm -hmm. cautious. And so that's just enough for her to dare to roll her window down. Only two inches, though, John. Only two inches. That's right. <laughs> that's right. You think, don't do it. Oh, only two inches. Okay. All right. Uh, but you show us really two things happening, the inside and the outside of this person. And she's not insane, And but then again, her war for sanity is something that's taking a lot of her energy. Yeah, she's very fragile, very fragile. And she's very reasonable in her phobias about closeness. Mm -hmm. And so there's a really nice illustration that you can be rational and sane and also act crazy. That's right, yeah. And your behavior to someone else could be, I mean, I think she appears really just to other people mm -hmm. until the end. And so the, the one nice act bounces off another like a pinball and uh, the bells go off and there's hope and you know it starts out pretty low she's fleeing her support and resenting being candid and then it ends with uh, some hope of uh, opening up a little bit. Yeah, somehow the fact that this big muscly man who her instinct is to fear is kind amazes her and makes her feel some tiny confidence. And right away after that, instead of, you know, lolling into fantasies about what might be, she is slammed with this hard fact of suffering. We don't know, you know, would she have scraped for change? But that 10 that she just got back, immediately it, it just seemed the perfectly timed gesture for her to take it and give it right away. Yeah, he gives her a gift and so she can give a gift back. Yeah, and it doesn't make either one of them a hero. It's almost like these things just fell where they needed to right then. And it's not that they're unkind. It's, just, it's so rare lately that I read fiction where the morals are so crystal clear and not offensive in the very, in the very least. You know, they're not forced. They're not compelled. They're not coerced to be kind. They're not mm -hmm. doing it out of some kind of creed or some kind of compact or covenant. It's just the thing to do. It's therapeutic in so many ways in this uh, tiny little story. 
Well, it's like random acts of kindness. Isn't that what gets us all through? Well, they surely don't hurt most of the time, although it would be really great to write a story where a random act of kindness just led to absolute tragedy. That would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, isn't Streetcar Named Desire kind of like that? <laughs> I guess so. And so many. We are right Depending the on the kindness of strangers does not get Blanche anywhere. <laughs> The road to hell. That's right. Well, speaking of uh, <clears throat> speaking of desire, I hear something scratching at the door. I think it's the cat. It's, it's the, the cat. cat, and it, who knows? It might be that dog that's been wandering around. But I, I told you once, I had a dream where a dog sang a song to me as we rode on a stagecoach. And I don't know how the dog got a guitar, but this is what it sounded like while we feed the cat. Okay. <laughs> John, that you played music at the beginning of your classes when you were teaching, that kept you sane. Or it kept the students who came in expecting something crazy satisfied, because uh, that is a weird thing to do. It sort of sets things a little bit off kilter for the next hour or so, and everybody feels like, I think, I hope that it's okay for them to be a little crazy and maybe say the thing they wouldn't say. That's right. Because you're making yourself vulnerable playing and singing. They maybe can relax their defenses a little bit. And that ties in with our story flight that we just did before the cat got hungry. But it also ties into our next poem on the Unruly Muse, which is called Monster by Tina Carlson and takes us a little deeper into this realm that we've been talking about. Yes. Did she give you some insights into where this poem came from? She did. She said, inspired by Susan Smith's 1994 murder by drowning her two young sons, this persona poem is a fictionalized attempt to find some humanity in a person who committed a monstrous act. Tina, a poet and therapist, lives in Santa Fe. Tina's third poetry collection, A Guide to Tongue-Tie Surgery, is forthcoming from UNM Press in 2023. So here we have Monster by Tina Carlson. The judge is calm and caped. This room, a dark shine. White-walled. Its pews smattered and smug. My lawyers seek to humanize me. They insist I do my hair like a child. Ponytail bound. Not blown like grass in the wind. As he would have me. After the footage of my bound boys. The plunge. The lake-filled car. My head in my hands pretending to cry. I fed them well. Have filmed to prove they're smiling. If there was a crime, it was the gun of my past to my head. Says, Do what I say or I'll kill you. My stepfather's Christian hands on me. His smirk, his spit. My boys will never sit like this. Legs crossed, charged. What lies between mother and monster? They peer, then stare to see if I am sorry. I whisper to them in my dreams. 
that I am and I am not. I saved the boys from do-gooders going bad in the dark. I gave them truth. A good meal. Return to water. I say I loved the smell of their heads in sleep. In my cell, they're always happy faces. Monster me, if you will. But who among you has not drowned what you loved and, and turned, turned from, from that, that shore convicted? convicted. Thank you, Tina. Yeah, this 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 poem is chilling, and I remember that incident, the Susan Smith trial, yes. the crime and the trial, very well. Mm-hmm. This poem, like our first poem, digs into the workings of a mind, but of all of our pieces today, I'm pretty sure this mind is about as far out there as you can get and still be quasi-rational. Because there is a structure to her thinking. She's apparently she's reasoned her way to this. Well, it also starkly shows us the distortion that abuse creates. And this woman, as she she talks about the terrible scar of her past, she has been treated monstrously over and over again herself. Yes, this in a way normalizes monstrosity and justifies in a certain line of thinking, parallel line, that says, if it happened to me, it can happen to them. And there's one sure way to protect someone from any of life's dangers. Yes, and so many of these familial crimes of someone killing someone else in a family is about terror, I think, that they can't protect them. They can't. They can't. Mm-hmm. We sane people look at that and say, oh, that's, that's bent thinking and that's a sickness. But with a nod to the Lord of the Flies, who are we to make such judgments when, as a group, we commit atrocities that make the driving your kids into a lake pale in comparison. The line that just gets me is, but who among you has not drowned what you loved Mm -hmm. and turned from that shore convicted? Certainly, if we look around us, if we look everywhere, including at our own families, what are the crimes that have been committed of varying kinds? Families, communities, states, nations, alliances, using the very similar line of thinking that looks crazy unless you're in it. Because when you're Mm -hmm. in it, it's all about survival and protection. But when you stand outside of it, you say, how could we have thought that that was all right? Taking us back to the invasion of Iraq, for example. And, you know, somewhere between the official 30,000 civilians dead up to half a million or more dead under the banner of we've worked this out and this is going to help you be free. Yes, and and look at the history of lynching in our country or the denial about what AIDS was. And you're right, only when you stand outside of it can you go, oh my God, how could a whole society be this crazy? And you see that all over the world. This is one of the scary things about the persona of this poem, and I think that scared people about Susan Smith, is that when you see the behavior of the mob, which we would say, well, we understand it's wrong, but it is a mob, and it's a mob being a mob. But when we see an individual do this, and in other words, an individual starts to behave like the mob and take justice into their own hands, that's really scary to us. Yeah, there's no excuse. With a mob, you can always say, oh, my God, it's groupthink. And it's the right thing for us at the time. We all thought it was right. Yeah, reason to the winds. But a single person, you're absolutely right. It is stark and it is terrifying. Mm Mm-hmm. That's the thread of this poem that makes it the most not only disturbing but illuminating is that reason on its own is not sane. 
That's right. I mean, the Holocaust was reasonable to Hitler. Mm -hmm. So I do understand it now when people are so angry at the other group or the other who they perceive to be in the wrong group, that when the person says, let's reason through this or let's be reasonable, that some folks have said, hey, that's how we got into this mess, right, Mm -hmm. is reason alone. There has to be something else operating. So I appreciate what Tina has brought to mind here, and it surely got me thinking about that other end of the scale of crazy, which is the crazy that really does border on madness and chaos. Well, and I love that it's a persona poem that she's trying to get into Susan Smith's mind and to show what she has gone through. Thank you for this brave poem, Tina. Yes, yes. We're all pretty good at dealing with crazy, though, on a day-to-day basis. And I'm kind of hoping that that's sort of like working a muscle over and over again so that when we face true badness and madness, we're ready for it, you know? It's like I walk every day so that when I've got to run from that bear, by gosh, I can run. That's right, a little rehearsal. So I think we should hear your song. Yes. drank all of the champagne but I liked it You even gave me a migraine but I liked it You let the air out of my tires but I liked it You managed to snuff out most of my fires but I liked it I liked it I liked it when you ran me down I liked it could do those things to me drive me down upon my knees you could do whatever you want you tried to be cold but I liked it you tried to be cold but I liked it you said some things about my mother but I liked it you kissed me like I was your brother but I liked it You said I didn't have no class, but I liked it. Why, you even called me horses, and I liked it. I liked it, I liked it. When you cursed my name, I liked it. There was nothing you could do, nothing that could make me see that you were meaner than meaner than mean. You tried to get cold, but I liked it. Tried to be cold, but I liked it. Tried to be cold, and I liked it. Well, I think that this song is so delightful, and yet, as you said before, underlying it is sort of the everyday crazy that we started this theme with today. And it's marvelous that our singer, whatever this other person did to him, including letting the air out of his tires, saying things about his mother. He liked it. That's right. You cursed my name, and I liked it. (laughs) I love that. You cursed my name. And someone could stand on the outside once again and say, oh, he's crazy for putting up with that. But 
hey, if you like it, that's like getting a hug. <laughs> Either that or you really are nuts. Well, how much of this do you think is bravado from our speaker singer? Is is he just saying, hey, I'm going to like you no matter what you do. You just try to make me not like you. There you go. I like that, too. It's like, okay, go ahead. Yeah, I'm not going to let you take me off course. I know that there's something there about you that's good in spite of all of this. In spite of it. But you're right. It, it's a kind of a form of not revenge necessarily, but evening the score or two when someone tries to harm you to go the way of the Stoics and say, I'm turning the other cheek. People forget about humor sometimes with craziness, but humor with our crazy is is the way we all get through life day to day because there's just so many things that happen that throw the ball out of the park. So true. And I think one of the reasons we love comedians uh, and comedians is that they cross the line they draw it and they jump over it and we all laugh because they did it and, and you know no one, no one blew their top. And when it works, it's great. Uh, but maybe that's only possible or maybe that's only necessary. That kind of entertainment is necessary because we spend so much time hiding what it is that we think in closets. Oh, you're getting us into our next theme yes. of closets. I was just going to say laughing and crying blow our top in good ways. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Back, acceptable ways requiring yeah, no therapy. acceptable ways. <laughs> but yes, next time we're going to look at the closets that we all occupy or create, even the real closets that exist yes. in our houses. Are you going to share your closet or not? That's the question. That's right. And isn't that one of the places in your house you'd pretty much rather nobody looked in? <laughs> yeah, could we keep the door closed on that, please? <laughs> But meanwhile, if you want to see more about the show, go to theunrulymuse.net and you can listen to the podcast there if you don't want to listen on one of your other podcast providers. Yes. Um, You can check in and uh, look at the show notes and you can also see all the episodes that we've done and the artwork, which is always fun. Well, until then, I'm John Modaff. And I'm Lynn Miller. And this is The Unruly Muse. 